Well, tonight, as we continue into the new year, we pick up where we left off for the Christmas service season, as it were, in Ephesians. And we've reached chapter 3 and verses 14 to 19. We'll take the doxology, verses 20 and 21. Um, God willing, in a week's time. The title of the sermon is this. There is more to experience. There is more to experience. And where we are in this particular passage here is where Paul set out to be at the beginning of this chapter in verse 1. You remember he uh, digressed at that point and wanted to just, as it were, earth them in the knowledge that what he's been saying about the church and the bringing in of the Jews and the Gentiles to be one new man was not something that uh, just sort of came to him, but was actually given to him by God. That uh, was very much a strong part of his ministry to make this clear, to make this reality of this one household of God, of both having access by one spirit to the Father. No distinction. And so this togetherness, actually, which was there, chapter 2 as well, and through the, the this description of this one new man, this bringing together of Jews and Gentiles under the headship and government of Christ. But it's still here in his thinking. That's why he talks about the whole family in verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's these people, his people, those who look to the Father, whom he names as his children, and the whole family, all of them, both groupings, Jews, Gentiles included. He says in verse 18, but being able to comprehend these things with all the saints, that this isn't something just for particular groups of believers. To, to have, to experience, but for all, this is to be a common experience. This is something joint, held in common between them all. And so what he is here describing, praying for, this more that there is to be experienced, is for all groups, all Christians without distinction. And having made this case that we belong together, and then kind of further uh, underlined it by showing his place as the apostle to especially bring these things to the church, to teach the church about this mystery that was hidden but has now been revealed in this new way, this more clear-cut way to the apostles and the prophets. So he is now saying that whatever joy we have, we have together. And whatever we experience of the love of Christ, we experience it together. And all that we have in our spiritual communion is not something that only some can enjoy uh, or that you need a particular experience to enjoy that, but is actually there. It's all available and it is all within reach. So what he is doing here as he prays, and we consider there his attitude of prayer, his, his reverence, bowing his knees to the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that attitude that should mark our prayers, careful in our approach, being thoughtful in what words we say to our God. Well, then 
He prays assuming all, really, that he's been saying from chapter one, but particularly from chapter two, all of that chapter, where they once were, how they were transformed, brought out of death, made alive in Christ, and all that follows from that is already embedded in their thinking. Because what he is basically saying is he is praying here according to that truth. And simply saying in a way that all of that is something that you may know it more deeply, be more convinced of it. That it's not just a sort of body of doctrine, it's not just uh, words and concepts and terms, but there's a reality. And the reality can be known and experienced. That's his prayer that Christians would. These Christians, all of them, Jews and Gentiles, that was the burning issue of that day, how they to relate what stays, what goes, what has changed, what stays the same. And he's very careful in his teaching to describe that. But it's for all to know these things. And if we're convinced to what chapter 2 has, then he's simply saying that we would discover it more and more. So if there is the, the great love of Christ, according to his great love with which he, he loved us, making us alive, chapter 2, verse 4, then he's saying, well, that, that we may discover that love all the more. We're saying here in verse 18 of chapter 3. Or if, if Christ is dwelling in his people, if we are that, that temple of the Holy Spirit, chapter 2, verse 22, well, he prays that indeed Christ may dwell in us, verse 17, so that an existing spiritual reality will become something that we're more conscious of more aware of, is having more of a difference upon who we are. Or we are his workmanship, his creation, created in Christ Jesus, chapter 2 and verse 10. Well, what's his workmanship? What, what, what's he creating? What, what is he bringing to pass? Well, it's no small thing, and that is described to us in verse 19, and that is that we may be fooled with all the fullness of God. That, that's what he's working towards. Uh, we are as new creatures. We're leaving behind the old, old ways, old habits, old sin. And this is what he is actually fashioning in us. That is really quite immense. Everywhere and all the time, we are told to lift our sights and expectations that God is no small God, no lack of power in him, no lack of willingness in him, we read of the riches of his glory, verse 16. That, that is how this is a portion. This is where what we can know, what we can experience more deeply about him is coming from. Not a, a sort of small reservoir. Reservoirs probably even with this rain are still pretty low. And I've heard some very pessimistic things. I think it needs to rain every day between now and April or something before we could be absolutely sure we're not going to have water restrictions next summer. Well, that cheered you up at the beginning of the new year, didn't it? Just so. But his reservoir is not that. It's not some sort of small little puddle of water there. And out of that, you, you draw and it's quickly drained. It's, it's immense. This is the riches of his glory. And well, we, we've learned this already that, that Paul is ever reaching for very strong, very powerful language to try to shift us away from small thinking and get us a little bit more absorbed in the kindness and generosity of God, how, how he apportions things. 
And you can see something of that in chapter 1, verse 7, in chapter 2, verse 4, and indeed just earlier in this chapter, in verse 8. That is, that's the immense steward, these riches of his glory, according to the riches of his mercy. Whatever it might be, it is riches. There, there is wealth of it. There is a great amount of it, and we can never exhaust it. So we come to our first heading, Might in the Inner Man. In a sense, what we have here are a kind of a progression up a ladder, and there are rungs to the ladder, and each part sort of interweaves with the other part there to, to make it sort of stable and to give it a framework, a structure. Here's the first part of it. We might have might in the inner man. That's what he is praying, that uh, he would grant you, uh, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Well, that's, that's something, isn't it? That, that's a part of us that we can divide ourselves up and what complex creatures we are to try to understand ourselves. But there we are. We, we're born again. We are regenerate. Our soul is alive. We've been quickened. That's what we've learned. We've been made alive in Christ. Somewhere within what we are, we're Christians as human beings. We're alive. There is now a part of us and the most important part of us, the deepest part of us, that is now spiritually responsive, alive, alert, able to understand, eyes of faith given, that is able to receive truth, is able to be touched and affected by the Holy Spirit, even as already we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Deep, deep mysteries these are. And yet, in all of our still flawedness and the fact that what we are as people is not now just that we're born again, that spiritually responsive self that we are, now just rules the roots. It's just a straightforward process. Well, you and I know it's anything but a straightforward process because we're still vulnerable to temptation and we're still liable to various falls and difficulties and uh, bringing ourselves into, into hardships that we, in a way, by our sinful choices, bring upon ourselves. So there we are. What complex creatures that inner man, that's that alive part, that alert part with knowledge and understanding, spiritual light and spiritual life. But there is competition. And it's not a straightforward from here on in, just continuing on in the knowledge of that. No further problems. Well, we know anything but that. We know the devil is real. And we know that our sinful nature is real, calling it that, a sinful nature, some find different terminology for it, but let's settle for that, that there is someone else fighting there, the old man. There is something of the old nature that remains with us, and it's not dormant with us, but it is always trying to express itself. And so lust and pride and unbelief and idolatry and uncleanness and all the all the folly of the human heart, that part of us, what you might call the false us, not the real you and the real me, not in one fundamental sense, but real enough in terms of the power that it still can exert and the challenges it brings. And that is there trying to interfere with the process of sanctification and our growth in knowledge 
and understanding. The real us, if you will, the inner man, the real you, the real me, if we are Christians. But there is still that false you, that false me, that still is under the control there of sinful impulses and desires and longing for other things and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. That's working as well. But here's the promise. Power is to be infused into that real us, the inner man, that spiritually alive, you and me. In the most fundamental sense, you and me. Our real identity, let's talk the language of the day, that's our real identity. We're in Christ Jesus. And so the result of that is immense, that there is power, that we can be strengthened. So the real you and the real me, this born-again man, born-again woman that you are, would express that life, push back more successfully against sin, begin to crush the efforts of Satan to to overcome us, to disturb us. There's a fight back that takes place, ground that gets taken, occupancy of our soul that is more there for Christ. And we're ruled by him. Temptations, not so strong here. And we're not fooled by that anymore. And that doesn't attract us as once it did. We no desire for those things there any more than then because now something more important is there for us. We're being strengthened. And how? Well, by the Holy Spirit. And so what is he strengthening? Well, that part of us actually is what he indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so often there, the language of the Bible and the Holy Spirit uh, extends a little bit beyond what we can fully understand. But there it is, that born-again people, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, then need actually more help of the Holy Spirit to be able to hold their own and to stand against all the incursions of sin and temptations and all of the, the, the desires of the heart, and the pride of life, the pride of this world, the deceitfulness of these things that tries to fight back against us, seeks to overcome us. And more and more, uh, if we can put it like this, that uh, the kind of person in charge, and you might think like our will, so what are we going to be? What, what are we going to go with? What are we going to choose here? Are we going to, as it were, allow our true inner man, the spiritual man, the spiritual woman, here to speak, here to act? Are we going to be overcome by our sinfulness and our weakness and pride and these things? Is that going to speak? Is that what's going to be heard? Well, who is it making this decision here? Well, there is our will. That That is the the sort of kingpin within this, that, that, the will. But that will can, as it were, look this way or look that way. But then there's strength. And we will, almost against our own will, put it like that, to do Christ's will and to express the life that's within what is true and should be true of us and our s- spiritual life and the power that is within us. If you might say, we express the real you, the real me. That's that inner man. That is that inner woman where we're made alive in Christ and where there's still a battle going in in our soul for who's going to rule here. And there God gives strength to our will. Though we can sometimes lament, can't we? And here, New Year, well, <laughs> resolutions, well, perhaps we've seen through those by now, haven't we? That 
You can't just say it and it happens. You can't just in your own strength and in your own power. So this is going to be different. But with God's help, yes, you see, this is spiritual. It is through his spirit. Yes, those results there, looking to God for that help. Well, there's something more meaningful in that. But it tells us, doesn't it, that there's a need of prayer. There's a need to pray. That's what Paul is doing. He is praying. He's not saying, I don't have to do anything here. I don't have to exercise faith and pray for you. You don't have to exercise faith. It's automatic. You know, he's saying it's not automatic. He's saying, I'm praying for you. And so it bids us really pray for ourselves as well in that. We need to be fed with the word of God. We need to hear of the love of Christ. We need to hear of the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to hear of what gifts and graces Christ purchased for us when he died at Calvary. And so in that We are praying here for, if you like, a progressive takeover of who we are, a real coming into being of our true identity as men and women of Christ, as believers, as those who are trusting in the promises of God, who believe in the shed blood, who who have no confidence in the flesh, and the many, many other things we'd say of ourselves. Well, that that is being spoken, that's being expressed, that's being actually lived out by the people that we are. That's happening because we're being strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. The work of the spirit to reorder things within us, to diffuse certain things, to rewrite uh, the code of our our thinking and how our programs kind of work in this situation. What are we going to do here? Well, the old program would have us do this or shout, get angry or run fearfully away. Well, there's something that can change here. The Holy Spirit is given to begin this progressive sanctification, taking over more and more the running of our soul, allowing the real identity of who we are, our real self, the inner man, born again of the Spirit, to be asserted over and against the sinful impulses and the desires that sadly still are there with us. So a lot needs to happen. It's the rule of Christ. It's his lordship within, being affected, being imposed, being made real, a happening thing. And so what happens? Well, we begin to think his thoughts. Think of that. We begin to think his thoughts rather than our own thoughts, although they are still our thoughts, but we're kind of now working in a far more cooperative way with him. But there's his lordship, not as some sort of artificial construct you know there's some uncomfortable presence and we're reluctantly having to do this we'd much rather do the other thing but no we'll do this and but no it becomes much more consistent much more of a happy experience rather than a sad one and so his light becomes our light his truth becomes our truth to put it in the parlance there the modern term that's that's right his truth becomes our truth we agree with him And we will speak that and live according to it. His motives, his attitudes, deep-seated things become progressively more and more of who we really now are, who we're living as. We're not living in this sinful sort of identity, not living according to that, which are being corrupted by our evil desires. But now being fully the new man, the new woman, the inner parts, that reality that's there, Oh, so often get smothered and masked by sin. It will 
require faith. This is something that, that happens through faith. Uh, we're strengthened there. These things like there is Paul praying. We need to pray and we need to trust. And we need to have faith and believe the promises. Sense our sense of need and dependence upon God for this. It's spiritual. It doesn't just happen. And the need for confession and the need for repentance. Well, the promises there before us are great. So just to take a few verses there and often find ourselves looking at these, don't we? But John 14 and just reading verse 21 to start with that our Lord says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Well, that's what happens when we're keeping his commandments when we have them. They're there. They are a controlling influence in us and therefore all the help, mercy of heaven is pledged towards us. John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, that was Judas, not Iscariot, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him, make our home with him. That's going to make you stronger, isn't it? When Christ by his spirit, the father by the spirit have come and made their home with us. That's being strengthened with might in the inner man. Well, secondly, we move up the ladder. Oh, it is to know the love of Christ. That's the heading next, to know the love of Christ. And it's not unrelated to what we have just said, because there it is. The more that we have, keep the commandments of God, the more that we are under his rule, that our tastes and thoughts and our preferences all those aspects of our, the deeper part of who we are, the more and more that is under Christ's rule and under his strong hand, then the more love blossoms. Love, well, it's what it is. This is what it is. Strong love it is too. And it's love for Christ. It's love for others. It's not a sort of love that uh, is just exclusively for the Lord, nor love that's just exclusively for others. Well, there's something happening within us that we have a capacity to love in all of its best senses. Love God and love our neighbour. Christ's rule means Christ's rules. And as those things happen, then it's faith working through love. But that strength means that we will be, what we read here, uh, rooted and grounded in love. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, making his home in us. And the result is love. It breaks forth into our soul. That is what it is to, to receive of him, to be under his commandments. Well, then there will be love. We're, we're taking more and more of his likeness upon ourselves in that. We're hearing him, responding to him. And the result is that we are rooted and grounded in love. Well, Paul, having given us there the sort of generality of that love, and then he says to us a paradox. He, in fact, sets before us something that's quite insoluble. Where he says that we may be able to comprehend, this is what is happening here, move up the ladder. Now, this is the next real part of it here. There is his strengthening. There is his rule. Well, that breaks open love in the heart. And then we, we've got a capacity now to understand love better. Well, how about this? He says, comprehend with all the saints, not just for some, but for all. What is the width and length and depth and height? 
Why, this love, he says, to know the love of God, which passes knowledge. So you know something that passes knowledge. You're to comprehend something whose dimensions there are beyond our measurements. They, they don't have a limit. There is no width that we've got, or we understand that now, or the, the depth of it, we've got that, or the, the breadth of it, we can see that, we've measured that off, got that, never will. And so he's setting before us a paradox. He's saying, I'm praying that you will know something that is actually unknowable, that, that you will grasp something that, that actually is beyond your grasp, because there's always more to it, more that you can experience, more than you can know, that you've not found every situation in life where he will presence himself and make that love known. There's always freshness and a new dimension, and Paul's praying that you'll just go on discovering it because you'll never get to the end of it. It's according to the riches of his glory. This is not something that's measured out in little quantities here. It's immeasurable. And Paul is praying that we'll get the hang of this a little bit, that it's immeasurable, and that that will bring us great, great comfort and great peace. His love is warm and tender, and it's it's real concern that he has, that it's not some abstract thing. Nobody can be loved by an abstract concept. Nobody can be loved by something that has no personality, no no feeling, no empathy, no power to relate. It's like certain people are quite cold, aren't they? And they just can't relate. And they're not uh, the most uh, easy people there to be around. Because our Lord Jesus Christ is very warm and very sympathetic and very concerned. And as he felt deeply for his disciples groaned in his spirit at the tomb of Lazarus. He's not been divested of that humanity. He's not changed, kind of too important now to deal with the stuff of life, not too far removed and got promoted above what are just our everyday concerns. All he knows all about our everyday concerns, his omniscience and his humanity combining there to know us all through and through, and to be able to communicate and know what it's like. <laughs> what it's like to have been tempted, and what it's like to have lost friends, and what it's like to have been betrayed, and what it's like to have had different things come across your path and mine. Just as the leper asked, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the Lord said, I am willing. Stretched out his hand and touched him. and He was cleansed. So the Lord says that I am willing. I'm willing. I have compassion. I have tenderness and warmth. My heart beats strongly towards you. I'm not remote from you and detached, but involved. And I want to be involved. I want to be there alongside you and with you. We have to be persuaded of what we had at John Ward's funeral in Romans 8 and verses 37 to 39. Writes the apostle there, yet in all these things, We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, he says, I am persuaded. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Uh, There's no width or length or depth or height that you can go to. No place, no situation where you have exhausted the possibilities of his love, far from it, he's saying. Uh, and he's fully persuaded of it there. 
And he's saying that that of experience that himself has been in all those situations. And he's found the love of Christ there. All circumstances, any time of life, any period of our Christian pilgrimage, whether alone, with others, whether in times of sadness or times of joy, that uh, he is there, his presence is there, his affection is there, his concern for us is there, his help for us is there. And we're to believe that. And we're to know it more and more and more. And we can be assured of it going on into the future that it will be there. And it'll always be straightaway obvious. May it always not always be so, so evident. And we may have to learn some things as we proceed. But Paul prays, we'll know as a living ingredient, the love of Christ and be persuaded of it. And know that we've never exhausted it and we never will. Finally, third heading, filled with God's fullness. So we, we've gone up the ladder. There is that strength in the inner man. There is that love, and particularly here, the love of Christ that we're, we're just sort of grappling with that. And then we're going to grapple with something further because here's the next part of it. And it all follows one from the other that you may be filled, filled with all the fullness of God. And that's interwoven with what's gone before that, that, comprehension, that understanding of the love of Christ and being persuaded of it, that rule of Christ, ruling in our hearts, dwelling in our hearts through faith, with that strengthening of the inner man is all part of it. And it's not that we become divine. Well, that's the mistake, isn't it, that uh, quite a few teachers make trying to persuade us that we are divine, that there is something beyond that we become as Christians, well, I saw somebody there, one of these big American teachers, uh, he could have come from anywhere, but he happened to be American, and he was taking from Isaiah 9, verse 6, and uh, we are wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and saying it's us, right? He was saying that's us, uh, because we're Christians, that's us. The life of Christ is in us, so all those titles actually apply to us. I'd suggest that's blasphemous. So we know we're not talking about us becoming divine, but we are talking about us becoming Christ-like. That is to be filled with all the fullness of God. That is to be Christ-like to the extent that any human being can be this side of glory. So it's saying perfection, isn't it? We don't reach it any more than we reach the comprehension, total and grasp that we got there of the love of Christ. It's always beyond us. And so in a sense, what we're aiming at here, what Paul is praying for here, is never finished. Never finished. There's always more. More to experience, more to know, more to live out, more to express. And that is to be Christ-like. That's to be filled with the Spirit. That is the fullness of the Spirit. That is to be Christ-like. To be holy through and through thought, word, and deed. That is the total takeover. That's the full merger, if you like. That's where the, the large company has now totally absorbed the smaller company. But now it's indistinguishable from the, the main governing authority. Full acquisition, a total takeover. Again, none of this is automatic. Left our own devices, it will all go backwards. We'll be going on a backwards journey, not a forwards journey. 
And that's why we need to pray, pray for ourselves, pray for each other. That's why the apostle is teaching us here what we should be praying so that we may be able to go up this ladder and experience these things which are already there. We already have the life within. We have the Holy Spirit. We're already born again. That's true. Already have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Well, that's true too. But there's more. More to be known in every situation which this new year may cast up before us here on January the 1st. Well, what will be happening tomorrow? We're a bit hard pressed to say that, let alone what will be happening, say, in eight months' time. So we proceed, but hopefully believing that these things here are part of what is our inheritance, actually, in Christ, that he intends for us to, to have these things and know these things more and more. And we're not talking sloppy language here of some feeling or other, some warm glow within that really is devoid of any real purpose or any real result. But something lived out, something visible, something that's evidence day by day and in the day to day that the people that we are conveys the reality of these things more and more and more. And so in a sense, that's that we experience something that others might experience it from us and see something happening in us and be able to remark upon that. So let's pray that our year will be one in which Paul's prayer here for the believers then and all believers, God always intended for us all to have this, that these things may become more and more part and parcel of who we are. Amen.